0: I'm Russell Berger. I'm Sean DeMars.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the DC Podcast. Yes. Defend and
0: Confirm. Yes, the gospel. The gospel. Mm -hmm. All that stuff. All that stuff.
1: Uh, We left last episode, we talked about the divinity of Jesus. Yeah. How Jesus throughout the New Testament identifies himself as God. He does things only God can do. His disciples clearly recognized him as divine and Mm -hmm. the early church recognized him as divine. And then... Kind of grappled with that until they recognized that God had revealed himself as a triune God. Mm-hmm. And we ended the episode asking the simple question, why does it matter? Yeah. So why did Jesus need to be divine? Why Also, why did he need to be man? Yeah. Why why both instead of one or the other? And we said that one of the places we see the answer to this question clearly is in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's right. Or some you know fancy theological word, we could say the atonement. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah. Why does it matter?
0: Well, it matters because if Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, then he cannot do what he needs to do on the cross. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What Jesus did on the cross, penal, substitutionary atonement. Say that again. Penal, substitutionary atonement. The, 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 the real short of it is that is that he paid the price for our sins mm-hmm. on the cross. Okay. You have to be fully human in order to pay the price for human sins.
1: So uh, so animal sacrifice...
0: Not going to work. Won't cut it. Not going to cut it. Uh, and you have to be fully God to pay the eternal price for sin committed against a, an
1: eternally holy and righteous God. So we see Jesus going to the cross as a man, mm-hmm. basically paying the price that men should pay. Mm-hmm. So he has to be man. And at the same time, he couldn't have done that if he'd only been a man. That's right. And the- because,
0: because man is not eternal. Right? Man is not infinite, and the sins that we have committed are infinite. And the reason why hell lasts forever is because those sins need to be paid for infinitely.
1: And as God, Jesus was able to live a perfectly righteous life. Mm -hmm. He was able to fulfill the entire demand of the law. That's right. And so when we trust in Christ and we are in Christ, we're not only... Receiving forgiveness for our sins, we're actually receiving Christ's righteous life. Yeah, in a, in an exchange, you could yeah.
0: say the great exchange. You did you just think of that? I did. I it's just thought of really it. Really clever. Also known as double imputation. Mm. Yeah. So okay. my sins put on Jesus, right, and Jesus's righteous life given to me.
1: So this is this what you're describing? Is that penal substitutionary atonement?
0: Well, I mean, it's very closely connected to it. Let let's just let's just break the term down. Okay. Penal. Punishment. Punishment. There, there has to be a punishment. There's, there's justice that needs to be meted out. Okay. So,
1: so lest someone think we're just making that up. Mm-hmm. Um, i a scripture that comes to my mind when I think about the justice of God is Numbers fourteen. Numbers fourteen. Numbers fourteen. I'm going back to the Old Testament. Number fourteen. Numbers. Oh, the book. Okay, the book. go <laughs> ahead. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation yeah so here we see god is merciful god is loving god is forgiving Mm -hmm. and at the same time god is just Mm -hmm. and in the the rebellion against him and the breaking of his law that we see in in every human heart Mm -hmm. requires payment requires punishment
0: that's right he he wouldn't be a good god if He was an unjust God, right? The justice of God is the love of God put on display against sin.
1: So, but doesn't this sound like this? There's a tension here to, to use a word that I don't particularly care for because it gets misused a lot, mm-hmm. but you have a just God who who's going to punish sin, who is also merciful and loving and is going to forgive sin. How does that work?
0: Well, I think that's where the, the cross comes in. The cross is how the Perfect justice of God and the perfect mercy of God are reconciled. It's the wisdom of God uh, displayed in the in the death of Christ on the cross. I think that's what Romans chapter three is all about. In mm-hmm. Romans chapter three, there's this question of like, God, you let these sins go unpunished, unpaid for. Where where was your justice? Right, everyone has fallen. Everyone's rebelled against you. No one is righteous. No, not one. So how come you aren't punishing it? Well, God waited until the appropriate time, and then He paid
1: that price, that penalty upon His Son. So, to so in a nutshell here, um, Jesus' death on the cross was the way God dealt with and dispensed with the guilt that we mm. had incurred through our sinful rebellion. Yeah, and that's the
0: substitute part.
1: That's the substitute part. Yeah. And so, Jesus, as this innocent representative person who is both God and man, lays his life down mm-hmm. to take responsibility for human sin and the punishment that it deserves, mm-hmm. and thereby taking the wrath of God and the justice of God that should have been on us. Mm -hmm. And he reconciles us to the father. That's right. This is not something that everybody agrees with. Right. Right. There are other ways of looking at the atonement that we would say could have some truth to them.
0: Well, not could. They do. They do have some truth. to Yeah.
1: So uh, one of the ways that we can look at the atonement is that Jesus was a great moral example. Yeah. The
0: moral exemplar theory.
1: Laying one's life down for others. Uh, I think that's true. Sacrificially. I think it's true. Yeah. Uh, Christ was victorious over death. Christus
0: Vicar. Look at you
1: in all your terms. I know Latin. Uh, And we would say that's true. Yeah. But central to all this is what scripture teaches about Christ being the penal substitutionary atonement for our sins. That's right. And uh, so I I found a video. Mm. uh, Gentleman by the name of Greg Boyd. On the internet. On them internets. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to pick on Greg. But I thought that this video was a really helpful illustration of the way a lot of people who dislike and reject what scripture teaches on this mm-hmm. have have misunderstood what scripture actually teaches, mm-hmm. misunderstood what the doctrine means, mm-hmm. and the way they argue. I think it really, it's a good representation of, of sort of the, the poor, kind of shallow argumentation against this doctrine.
0: And just, just unbiblical or even non-biblical? Non-biblical. At like times, not, even,
1: yeah. not even drawing on biblical sources to make these arguments. Right. So I, I want to walk through some of this. I'd like to uh play this video and let's just look at what he has to say in response to it. it. All right, so here we are, Greg Boyd.
2: Oh, well, that he died as our substitute. But uh the penal substitution view says that he died uh at, the way that he was our substitute is by taking the punishment that we deserved. And but more specifically, it means that the Father vented His wrath against sin on Jesus instead of us, and that's what allows the Father to. So, my
1: we'll start there. Yeah,
2: initial
0: initial kind of concern there uh, is the word vent. Mm-hmm. Now, if you watch this video all the way through, He uses it several times. Venting, God is venting, venting, venting His wrath, right? Uh, later, he goes on to talk about how God is just sitting there, like this this man just consumed with anger, and how he right. can't control it, and he finally just has to explode and release, and he just happens to do it upon himself. I son. think
1: he uses the word rageaholic in a little bit. He know? does use the word rageaholic. Uh, that's a caricature. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's a weak one.
0: Well, yeah, and I just I don't think that that's the language that the Bible uses when it talks about the wrath of God being exposed from heaven, mm-hmm. it's a very deliberate plan on God's behalf. It's not like he's just kind of holding in all this hostility towards humanity, and then it just spills the banks over onto Jesus'
1: shoulders. Right. This is
0: something that was planned before the foundations of the world.
1: It's, it's not an emotional outburst right. on God's side. It is a, it's justice. That's right. It's moral justice, and, and I'm sure Greg Boyd agrees with the concept of justice, of of, of punishment for crime mm-hmm. in our society. Mm-hmm. I bet if he saw, you know, a, a, a television news report on a murderer, kidnapper, child molester, that mm-hmm. he would agree that punishment should be done. And I doubt that he would accuse the judge of being a rageaholic yeah. for sending that guy to prison. Yeah. So by analogy, I think we can look at God's justice as something, like you said, very calculated, very intentional and, and good. Yeah. A good thing. Yeah. I'm gonna go again, keep
0: going.
2: Go. Yeah. There's some problems with that view. Here's a, here's a couple of them off the top of my head. Um, one major problem is that it puts the myth of redemptive violence on center stage in the atonement theory. Here at this crucial moment, God's solving the problems of uh, the separation of humanity uh, from Him and the fragmentation of all creation. And how does He solve the problem? He kills somebody. Um, it, it propagates the myth that violence is a solution to our problems. That's the problem we've been afflicted with, the myth we've been afflicted with throughout history. Uh, we don't need more encouragement along these lines, but the crisis, the penal substitution view, bam, has, has horrendous violence, right? At the, the centerpiece.
1: Let, let's pause there real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, God kills Jesus. It's horrendously violent. Uh it, it seems like he's not recognizing the way that God uses human sin throughout history and okay. uses it for ends and purposes that are so far above ours mm. and beyond ours that they are ultimately done for incredible good. Okay. I'm thinking of uh, Joseph and his brothers. Mm-hmm. So Joseph is uh, basically sold into slavery by his brothers. Yeah. And. The end result of his slavery and imprisonment and years in a dungeon and all mm-hmm. the suffering he goes through, mm-hmm. he says, to his brothers when they come back together again and they're they're reconciled to one another, he says, "You meant it for for evil, mm-hmm. but God meant it for good." Yeah. And so we see something like the violence of the cross and the Romans killing Jesus on the cross. Uh, God can use that for good, and that's just—I mean—that's a fundamental biblical teaching. Yeah. And it's it's like he's not aware of that.
0: Yeah. Um, and all that's true, brother. This is good. This is where you're doing your like, your deep presuppositional, this isn't presuppositional, but you're, you're going like deep. I'm kind of taking like the 1970s, like Kentucky Baptist biblicist approach to this. And I'm just like, but the Bible says it's violent. Yeah. The, the Bible says that violence is the way that God deals with sin. Yeah. Uh, he treads the wine press right it's just the 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 blood the robe of Jesus Christ is covered in the blood of the enemies of God
1: so so if you say that and ultimately the bible does say that mm-hmm. is he just what what do we do with a guy like Greg with somebody who's arguing similarly
0: probably kill him <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's going to go over well so I mean, what? No, I
0: mean, I just, brother, it's just we're gonna keep coming back to this over and over again. But my my main concern with Greg is not to try to counter his arguments, but just to just to say, well, okay, is it in the Bible? Right. Is, Is this what God says? Which
1: gets back to our presupposition of where are we getting our knowledge of God. And it seems to me that he's getting a lot of his knowledge of God from his feelings about how God right. should be, right? not right. how God has revealed himself. Yeah, it,
0: it, the Violence, that can't be the answer because that doesn't fit with my understanding of what it means for God to be loving. Yep. Right?
2: Okay. Um, it's almost as though that primal, you know, throughout history, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, honestly, but uh, this is, I just got to call shots as I see them. But, you know, the pagans have always had this inc- this intuition, I think a demonic intuition, that to appease the god, we must kill somebody. We must sacrifice our children to appease the gods so the rest of us don't um, uh, get punished. Well, if the penal substitution view is right, then that pagan intuition was basically right.
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he's dead on there.
0: Now... Now, people watching this may not understand why you would say that because that seems like a heck of a thing. He just said that that's a pagan intuition to throw a kid into a volcano, and you sitting there, you're saying,
1: yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, the the intuition is correct, and here's where I'm getting that. Every human being has God's law to some degree revealed on his heart, Mm. and that awareness of our moral debt that we owe a righteous and holy God and the demand of that debt being our blood spilled that can be communicated to all of humanity. And at the same time, in our sinful rebellion against that God, human beings throughout time have twisted that knowledge into pretty horrendously evil things. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, let me just burn my firstborn child alive and put him in the ground floor of this building and it'll never fall down from an earthquake okay well that's not correct yeah that's horrendously wicked but the intuition that we all deserve god's wrath Mm -hmm. and that it will require a sacrifice to appease yeah that's actually that pagan intuition is actually evidence for the biblical understanding of sin
0: that's not pagan intuition that's human human intuition intuition. right we all instinctively know that we owe god Blood, Mm -hmm. there is a payment that must be rendered to God because of our sinful rebellion, right? And just because people have had that intuition and then used it incorrectly, you know, not really fleshed out the intuition. That's the funny thing about intuition; it's not uber clear about what you're supposed to do with it. You might need revelation besides that in order to almost like
1: we need to stand on scripture as the authority over our well, intuition. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. <laughs> well, yeah. and even people in our modern day who would say, oh, that's not true. I don't owe God any any sin debt. I don't yeah. feel that in my intuition. Well, just because you've so suppressed that knowledge yeah. that you've convinced yourself it's not there doesn't mean it's not. That's right. And so how do we know? Well, God says he's given us that intuition.
0: Yeah. You know, I think this is one of the places where C.S. Lewis is, is really helpful. When he talks about myths, he talks about the fact that these myths rise up in every culture because there's actually a real full final myth out there it's this myth of you know the story of christianity but he says that you see these lesser myths rise up in culture because there's an intuition there Mm -hmm. to try to explain this divinity that we experience through creation all the time Uh, and in the same way i think we we all naturally just have this understanding that guilt is present it has to be paid for and ultimately uh yeah it's it's just a picture of what was to come in jesus
1: shall we continue
0: yeah we shall
2: the means by which they went about doing it were wrong, but but the intuition itself was was very godly. I think it was demonic. Okay, oh, yeah, here's another problem with the penal substitution view. Uh, it it uh, really it, it presents a, a picture of God that is, let's say, problematic. Um, does God really need to vent his wrath against somebody, against his own son, in order to forgive us? Uh, I get the picture of uh, uh, of a father who is just so wrathful, so angry. Uh, it's almost like a, a rageaholic who says, uh, look, i, I, I got to vent my wrath on somebody. Uh, I don't care who it is, but somebody's going to pay. Somebody's going to pay. And in this case, the Father's wrath is is is, is towards humanity, and He's going to send humanity to eternal hell. But Jesus steps in and says, No, Dad, take me instead. So the Father pours out His wrath on the Son, and, and uh, then He's satisfied. And now he says, okay, now I can accept uh, these sinful human beings. What's wrong with that picture? Um, the Bible says that Jesus reveals God's love. It doesn't say that he, can, he, he appeases his wrath.
1: Let's focus in on that. Oh, all right. So he's actually referencing the Bible okay. for the first time in a little bit, but he's doing it incorrectly.
0: Now you're talking about the love and wrath thing.
1: Yeah. So does, does Jesus reveal the love of God? Absolutely. Yes. How does he principally reveal the love of God? By suffering the wrath of God for us. That is the expression of love. And so it it almost sounds like, um, and and not to pick on Greg, you know, there are way more people than just Greg Boyd who believe that penal substitutionary atonement is unbiblical. Um, But this is a really common argument that the father and the son are sort of at odds against each other. It's sort of an anti-Trinitarian claim. Yeah but the father and the son their will is perfectly united mm-hmm. in the atoning sacrifice that christ willingly lays his life down for his people yeah. willingly suffers on the cross and had intended to since the foundation of the world and in doing so god lovingly sends his only begotten son to do that for us so there this idea that these are like this father son uh this broken trinity view where they're at odds against each other and yeah. it's just it's so unbiblical i I I don't know how to respond other than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you even have a verse there that directly contradicts what he said about God not coming to send his...
1: Yeah, talking about Romans 5? Yeah. Yeah, Romans 5. But God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So Jesus dying... Yeah. Was God showing his love for us? Yeah. And what were we saved from? The wrath of God. Yeah. So what is it implicitly telling us there that Jesus suffered through? The wrath of God. Yeah, that's right. So. Now,
0: I I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to talk about, I want to go back to this venting thing, because that's the thing that really got me Mm -hmm. as I was listening to this video last night. Uh, Romans, Romans 3. Okay. Romans 1, everyone's guilty, right? Romans 2, a little bit more of the same thing. Romans 3, starting in verse 23. Paul says this for all have sinned and if you're tracking from romans 1 and romans 2 that means that everybody's under the wrath of god everybody right it doesn't just mean that we've made an oopsie daisy it means that the wrath of an eternally righteous god is against us that's what it means to be a sinner
1: and the punishment for that is death death right
0: we've all fallen short of the glory of god timer hey but it's still going look at Look at that okay and are justified that means declared innocent that means not guilty that means we don't we don't have to take wrath okay we we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption even that language redemption it's it's purchasing mm-hmm. something back right redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward okay who put Jesus forward God did right okay as a propitiation by his blood what does the word propitiation mean russell
1: it's what you give god to appease him.
0: Yeah, it's it's something put forward to appease wrath, right. right? And and I think that Greg would probably say that that's a pagan idea, right? That's, you know, throwing the virgin into the volcano, right? right. But here we see this is a biblical idea, propitiation, appeasing the wrath of his God mm-hmm. of God. Put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So the blood has to be spilt in order to satisfy the wrath of God. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Mm-hmm. His forbearance. He was patient. He knew what needed to happen, but he didn't just do it. He waited until the appropriate time, the time, the fullness of time, when in his perfect mind he saw the perfectly wise place to do it. Okay. Then it says, And it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so the way you can look at this is, uh starting in verse 23, all have sinned or, and all are under the wrath of God, right? Two, the sin problem is fixed through Jesus's work on the cross. That's right. in verse 24. Verse 25, which was planned and executed by God himself. Got it. Okay. Now,
1: now what sorry to cut you off there.
0: But you'll power through. But I'm going to power okay. through. Okay.
1: So when you say God sent him, you know, planned and planned this whole thing, mm-hmm. executed this whole thing. Executed? Executed. Ooh, mm. Uh where, but, but walk me through the wrath of God. Being, because I'm thinking of like the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. A lot of people get sort of a warped view of the atonement, um, unfortunately, through C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And they see this as a, like a debt paid to, the, to Satan. Yeah, yeah. How do we know that it was God himself that was, that it was extracting the justice from this? From from what was done on the cross, and that was his wrath. It wasn't was a, it
0: wasn't a payment made to Satan, okay, right? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I
0: mean, I I just think it's just because that's what the Bible says, right? the The Bible says that God knew before the fact that this lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. right? So in in the mind of God, there there wasn't any uh, kind of like you know what? This is the last straw. I got to do it. Right? I mean, the whole reason why Jesus came was to accomplish this purpose, which was prepared for him by the father in eternity's past.
1: So one of the things that, that I see a lot when talking about this doctrine with people who don't agree with it is this idea that, yeah, we get it. Jesus died. He died for sin. He became sin for us, but it wasn't God's wrath that he endured. And I just, I just don't understand how you can, how you can say that when Jesus himself is so clearly identified the wrath of God as the cup that he has to mm. drink.
0: So we're just looking at another angle. Just now. looking at another angle yeah.
1: from scripture here. Um, when the mother of the Zebedee brothers comes up and talks to Jesus about having a place at his right hand for yeah. him, he turns to them and this is in Matthew twenty twenty two. 22. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Mm-hmm. And then we see that same language used in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So the question there is, what cup is this?
0: Yeah, the cup of wrath.
1: The cup of wrath. And, you know, Jesus, his ministry, his teaching, his, his recorded words in scripture are so saturated with Old Testament scriptures. Mm. So in Jeremiah twenty five fifteen we read take from my hand, this cup of the wine of wrath. And then in Isaiah 51, 17, we see you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl. And then in revelation 14, even John is pulling the same language from the old Testament. He says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So if you take Jesus's words there about this cup, and you understand them in the way that his hearers would have understood them, through the lens of the Old Testament scriptures that they all knew, there was no mistaking that Jesus was talking about the wrath of God.
0: No. The reason why Jesus was crushed to the earth in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was thinking about taking this cup is because he knew that the cup was filled with God's wrath. And, and that's that's the only thing that could lay Jesus low like that, the impending doom.
1: So I got one more question. Just one. Before we wrap it up. Okay. Why can't God just be forgiving? Why does he have to extract blood? Why Is there anything in scripture that gives us some understanding of why he can't just wink at sin and just look the other way.
0: Yeah, well, I think there is there, there are things in scripture, and I imagine that you have them right there in front of you. I'm um, just testing you. Yes. <laughs> is that better? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I have to go get that but, now. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you, you threw it way out there, too. I really no, did. But here, here's just kind of what I do with people who um, you know, I just want to give a quick illustration to help them understand why God can't just kind of let it go. Okay. Imagine you have a wife who's pregnant.
1: I do have a wife. Okay. She's been pregnant. Okay. So I can do this.
0: Okay. Imagine that Catherine, when she was pregnant with Barrett, uh, now the whole internet knows the name of they your wife and anyway. son. Okay. And uh, one day she's out, and the guy, a guy, runs up, grabs her purse. Does she carry a purse? It doesn't matter. Grabs her purse, and because Catherine is such a frail little thing, she gets knocked to the ground. And in a moment of kind of just like extra brutality, this thief turns around and kicks her in the stomach. Mm -hmm. Somebody's videotaping it. Yeah, it goes to court. This guy gets arrested. Uh, The judge is there. He sees what's happening. Everybody knows. He's obviously guilty of this heinous, horrendous crime of kicking this pregnant woman in the stomach. Your wife, in fact. And he goes, all right, get out of here. You know, knucklehead. You knucklehead. Hey, I love you. Don't let it happen again. Get on out of here. Would you say that that judge was very loving? No. No. Why?
1: Because to be just in that situation would be the loving thing to do.
0: Yeah, that's right. If he he loved your wife, he would punish the sin of that man who committed it, right? Right. He would punish that thief, that man who kicked your wife in the stomach. In that situation, love and justice are inseparable.
1: And I've heard people say that to force God to be just in this way, to say, well, God has to punish sin because that's the definition of justice, is to kind of constrain God and to, you know, put but him in g- a box. But
0: God gives that definition of justice.
1: Yeah, it's not like we're making it up. No. We're getting this from God's self-revelation about who he is and yeah. what justice is.
0: If I were to come up with my own definition of justice, it would probably not look like this.
1: Well, that's what's ironic about it is those who say, well, God God could just forgive sin without payment without extracting blood, without mm-hmm. having to punish sin. What they're saying ultimately is that to do so is unjust, mm. which means they're applying their own standard of justice to God and exactly the way they're saying that we shouldn't. Yeah. The, the only problem is they just have the wrong standard. That's right. They're not using God's standard of justice. They're using their own. That's right. Final thoughts?
0: Uh, yeah. When people talk about, the theory of penal substitutionary atonement man that grinds my gears it gets under my skin Uh, i don't like talking but it's just a theory it's just a theory no, I think it is the central way. I do think there are other ways. I was clear to say that earlier on, right, in the podcast. Yeah. I do think we have the Christus Victor and the moral exemplar and other Latin words that make me sound more intelligent than I am.
1: But those are orbiting around this central That's right. atonement concept.
0: This penal substitutionary atonement, even though you don't see that, those words exactly in Scripture, this idea that Jesus died in our place to appease the wrath of God, okay?
1: Call it what you want.
0: Call it what you want. Uh, that is the Son, right, in the Bible, that everything else kind of revolves around, right? And if you lose that, you lose the gospel. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, now, if if we really want to rub some people the wrong way, I don't think you can have penal substitutionary atonement unless you have limited atonement. Dun dun dun. I think if you abandon, I just limited... heard
1: bristling and <laughs> grinding of teeth, and mm. yeah, you know that would be a good episode sometimes. Yeah, so. it would. Yeah. And uh, I think at this point. Good recommendation for stuff you should read. We don't actually have a book today. So rather than recommending you read a book, there's an article that I think covers this topic really, really well.
0: Written by Greg Boyd. Uh,
1: (laughs) Poor Greg. Uh, The Beauty of the Cross, 19 Objections and Answers on Penal Substitutionary Atonement by Derek Rishmaui, not to be confused with Derek Maui Tweet. (laughs) If you get that reference and you respond in the comments, we'll send you a free a gift free card a free link to the free article article, yeah, free link to the article so we're going to have the link in the uh, description of this episode go check that out uh, it's not a long read but he very ex- I think exhaustively covers this subject and does a fantastic job of it So
0: absolutely phenomenal couldn't expect more from a pedo-baptist
1: mm. a bearded pedo-baptist that's
0: right Yeah. if he shaved he would just look like a regular nerd but He'd that beard like a Baptist. makes him look like a theologian mm. we're baptists we yeah, have beards that's true alright hey All right. Thanks, San Diego. Till next time. Mm. All right, baby.